Well, if you would, in your Bibles, please turn to 1 Timothy. So we're picking up at 1, 1 Timothy, uh, cha- uh, verse, chapter 1, verses 3 through to 7. Now hear God's word. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, (coughs) desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make their confident assertions. Well, as we um, come to God's word together this morning, I am aware that Dan Collins has led the way uh, last week in introducing you to this letter. And of course, uh, after me next week, Andrew Zabel will be uh, continuing, uh, I believe. And so this is a wonderful letter for us to understand, but it is worth considering right at the very beginning uh, the difference between this letter and some of the others in the New Testament. In other words, why do you need to hear a conversation from an apostle, one faithful teacher, to another? I mean, 1 Timothy is written by Paul to Timothy. The letter of Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesians, that Galatians to those in Galatia, Romans likewise. And it's worth just pondering, even though this letter is, of course, for the church, The question is, is we are listening in on a conversation between two pastors, as it were, the older teaching the younger. And therefore, there is lessons for us here to learn that are particular, observations that we are to make and understandings that we are to gain. And so in this letter, we have the Apostle Paul and we have the younger minister in Timothy, probably not that young, but young nonetheless compared to Paul. Why does the church need to hear this conversation? Why do we, as the people of God, need to have this instruction? And of course, it becomes quickly obvious as you begin to read that the main distinction here is so that we, as the people of God, would be able to tell the difference between a faithful pastor, teacher, and false teachers. That we would be able to be wise and discerning Now, even if you think that in a church like this, we've got that nailed, that's not a problem. May I give you a cautionary tale of the church at Galatia, who by their own foolishness started to entertain another gospel that was not a gospel. So this is a problem for churches. The wisdom that they need to be able to tell the difference between a true teacher and a false teacher is a wisdom that comes to us from God. We cannot do it by our own intelligence or strength. It requires God's word 
to enlighten our mind with a view of shaping and changing and maturing our heart. Well, let's look at the summary then of this letter, at least the part that we are dealing with. Paul instructs Timothy to remain, verse 3. And I've entitled this sermon, The Reason to Remain, which I found a little bit odd, given that I'm leaving <laughs> the UK and here. But my hope and prayer is, is that God tells me to remain here forever because um, I don't like traveling at least that far. <clears throat> I will visit you, but if you're in another country, I think I'm about done with overseas flights. But why must Timothy remain? There must be a really good reason for him to remain. But there's a, another question to ask, and that is, why does Timothy want to leave? Where does Timothy actually want to go? I mean, in order to tell, instruct someone to remain, the assumption would be that they have a desire to go somewhere else in the first place. So where is Timothy wanting to be? Where is Timothy wanting to go? Is he wanting to catch up with Paul? Is he wanting to go to him? Well, whatever the case may be, Paul's instruction to Timothy is that he must remain. Paul's foresight, as we see elsewhere in Scripture, that false teachers arise in churches proves true here. And now the situation has to be dealt with. Timothy has to deal with these certain persons. We don't know who they are. Certain persons may be a very graceful way in dealing with them. In other words, Paul knows, Timothy knows, but nobody else knows. And so perhaps this is dealing with it at a seed level. But then we begin to notice more quickly that the best way to deal with consequences that fall upon a congregation is to deal with it at the cause. So by dealing with the false teachers, you end up then dealing with all the consequences that the first, the false teachers actually begin to cause in the fellowship. These false teachers, whoever they may be, are demonstrating both a lack of understanding and a lack of care. Now, it is true that you can protect the sheep by teaching them and educating them and defending them against the world that they are going to go out into. But every now and then, or more often than not, it is necessary to deal with the false teachers directly. And the reason why that is important is because some people in the church don't have the maturity level, Galatians and elsewhere, to be able to detect and understand when they're being told lies. And so they begin to copy and imitate the false teachers because what it sounds like seems to be true when it isn't. And so naturally, if you deal with false teachers, you deal with the consequence of false teaching. If you get rid of the false teacher, you get rid of the impact that false teaching has upon the congregation. It's a very neat way of dealing with things. And I'll get back to this in a moment. It is so important to deal with things at the root, at the seed level, before it is fully grown and you have to deal with it then. But it is clear that this charge to these certain persons is made in love from a pure heart. Now, when you consider these words, it's important to remember that when you think of a false teacher, what do you think of? A single man in his 40s with no friends looking for friends? 
And next week, we will see that actually, what if the false teachers are not single men looking for friends, but actually married men in the fellowship? Suddenly, the whole impact and identity changes of how you deal with that. You see, a faithful pastor, which is Paul instructing Timothy, is always going to be concerned with the course and condition of the sheep. The course of your life and the condition of your life matters to the faithful shepherd. Unfaithful teachers, though there are many things that will point them out, one of them is, of course, that they are more concerned with themselves. They're more concerned with the means to their own ends rather than your needs and concerns. Now, this isn't the only distinction, but I want you to remember this one point, if you remember nothing else, that a clear distinction or a clear mark of a faithful pastor is that he will be concerned with the course and condition of your whole life as long as you are within his fold locally. And no doubt he will continue to pray for you if you move elsewhere. This is the mark of faithfulness. And therefore, false teachers will be addressed in love by the faithful teacher. The false teacher uh, will be addressed by those who are caring and are loving. The reason to remain is clear. Timothy is the faithful one. And therefore, a faithful presence is necessary in a church that is coming under unfaithful teaching, false teaching. Because if he doesn't remain, then the course and the condition of the lives in the church will begin to change. The whole church will then begin to go in a different direction. First, it will start with individuals. Then it will start with families. Then it will affect the whole bunch. And as I've said before, a church must be like a bunch of grapes rather than a bag of marbles. If we truly understand what union with Christ means, then the image that we have is that we are a bunch of grapes united by the vine. We're not a bag of marbles. We don't scatter when we're dropped. We stay together. We may bruise, we will heal. But this is so important to understand. Well, let us deal then with a question of influence. It would be tempting to think that we only have to deal with one issue here, but it's quite clear that we have to deal with more than one. We are told, that P Timothy is told, that they are not to devote themselves to any kind of different doctrine. They are, to, they are devoted in this way, however, because of their desire. So I want you to notice this. Their devotion is caused by their unchecked desires. Their unchecked desires is driving their devotion to be teachers of the law and then, of course, into false teaching. Self-control, it's been often said, is the only fruit of the spirit that doesn't have a counterfeit. Self-control is necessary because if you don't have it, you will be dictated to by your desires. You will be driven by your desires. And if your desires are not godly and you don't have self-control, then you will be going in a direction and in a way that you are not meant to go. Such a person who then lives under the influence of their desires, who also does not have self-control, and perhaps in the church, 
who does not have a level of maturity to, be under to understand the difference between false teaching and true teaching will find themselves in a very difficult position later down the road, but not when it is happening. And what begins to happen is this, and it's happening in this nation, it's happening all over the world, is that truth is now mediated through experience. And then truth is then validated by the experiences I enjoy. And truth, when understood in this way, is no longer true. But this is how people have come to experience and understand truth for themselves, truth for me. So the Christian can fall into the same trap. The Christian can think, well, it's true because it makes me feel good. In other words, I am validating what is true because I feel empowered, because I feel strong, because I feel great. The trouble is, is the truth may not always make you feel strong or great or powerful. So a person influenced in this way is driven by their desires. And self-control, being a fruit of the spirit, is the only way that those desires can be kept under check. You remember those in Galatians who Paul writes to, who are influenced not necessarily by desire, but by their own foolishness. And by their own foolishness, they end up believing a gospel that is not actually a gospel. And what about those in Proverbs who we read about who are influenced due to their immaturity, due to their lack of wisdom, and due to their lack of understanding? Now, the protection for a young child who does not have the necessary wisdom to make the right decisions all the time in a world which bombards them with choices is the gift of the spirit of self-control. Trusting in God's word as we grow up and we understand. But the point here is clear, that these false teachers are driven by their desire to be teachers of the law. And therefore, they are dictated to by their desire rather than being, if I can put it this way, regulated by the word of God. And by that very identification, you can begin to understand that what you will hear from them will not be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Those who lack discernment will look to the wrong people will listen to the wrong people, will follow the wrong people, and will be shaped by the wrong people. And therefore, the reason to remain is to deal with those wrong people, those false teachers. Only the faithful person can deal with the unfaithful. Only he who is spiritual can restore the one who is unspiritual. This is the very basic principle that we understand throughout scripture. And the reason why it is necessary is because in a church, not everyone is at the same level of maturity. Not everyone understands the same things. Very wise and clever people can sometimes make the wrong decisions simply due to a lack of self-control or due to the fact that they have desires that are unchecked, that are running away and they have been taken with them. And as you've heard me say before last year, you'll remember that the fence at the top of the cliff prevents us from the ambulance at the bottom. 
The fence at the top of the cliff present, prevents us from the ambulance at the bottom. It is necessary to have faithfulness and to deal with the falseness in order to protect the church's condition and the course of the lives of the people in it. This is the duty of every shepherd. Therefore, it is necessary that we focus on the seed. Now, you may have noticed as you've read through the text that Paul's focus here is actually on the effects of the false teaching. Though Timothy has to deal with a certain persons, Paul's concern is what effect this is having on the people of God themselves. And so all teaching is like sowing a seed. Something will come from it. You will either produce gospel activity, or in this case, gospel or not even gospel, inactivity. Vain discussion and speculations is a direct consequence of the false teaching. Depending on the seed, we'll give you your plant. Teaching works in exactly the same way. And so the seeds of myths, the seeds of endless genealogies, the seeds of all these other false nuances produce speculations, produce vain discussions, and possibly produces doubts in those less mature. And so Paul's focus here is not on what's being produced, but rather on what's not being produced, and that is the faithful stewardship of God that is by faith, verse 4. That's not happening. In other words, the course and the condition of the church is changing because of the false teaching that people are hearing. This church is no longer being a good steward or in the danger of no longer being good stewards. And then people are wandering off into error, verse 6. And so by addressing false teachers and the, their desire and their devotion, Paul is instructing Timothy to address it at the seed level. Let me try and illustrate this if I can. My wife's brother um, is very good at gardening. He's very good at a number of things, to be honest. And um, he's very good at being able to get a handful of seeds, different seeds, and being able to tell you what that seed is and therefore what it will become. Now, I'm pretty good at telling the difference between one tree and another, one plant and another, hopefully between a flower and a weed. But at seed level, I'm useless. I couldn't tell the difference between one and the other. But when it comes to being a pastor, it is absolutely necessary that I understand the difference at a seed level. Because it is too late to deal with when it's fully grown. It can be dealt with. But if you can deal with it at the seed level, you've also got to be able to tell the difference between good seed and bad seed. And you've got to be able to deal with it there and then so that it doesn't become fully grown in the congregation of God's people and therefore dismantles them, as it were. And we don't have time this morning to deal with the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, but it's important that you understand what it means. What it means is this, that when a pastor listens to a man uh, and how he speaks about his wife, 
If he says that he makes love to his wife, then that's a good indication. But if he chooses another word for the same practice, then the pastor picks up on that. Because words create images, and images give us understandings. And what the superior worth hypothesis teaches us is that words, you've got to be careful with words, because the type of words that you actually use will cast certain images. Think of the many vulgar words that you could use for the physical activity that happens between a man and a wife. I'm not going to mention them, but think of them. And suddenly you begin to understand what men think about women and what women think about men simply by the word that they are using. And this is why it's so important that as you begin to listen to people in the congregation, as you begin to hear them speak and listen to what one person is saying to another person, you pick up on these individual little words because you begin to understand they're not just words, they're seeds. And those seeds, you begin to realize, will become fully grown. And this is what will happen three months from now or six months from now. The timing you may be off but you can identify what the plant will be, and so it must be dealt with urgently. The pastor must understand at seed level what is going to happen when something is fully grown. This is why Timothy must remain. This is why Timothy must remain. Those without understanding, those who want to be teachers, fail to see what they produce. They fail to see the, what the seeds they sow will actually become. Maybe they don't, but generally they do. They don't mind the speculations that are being produced. They don't mind being the type of person which everyone else comes to so that they can answer your question. They don't mind the vain discussions because it gives them a sense of power and position. They desire, after all, remember, to be teachers of the law. They desire a position, it would seem. They desire a place of authority. But their authority that they seek is without understanding, and that is damaging to the church. What they actually produce is inactivity rather than gospel activity. Such speculations and vain discussion seem to stop God's people from carrying out those things for which they are responsible. The reason why Timothy must remain is because he must be concerned with the course and condition of the lives of those in the church. And he must deal with these certain persons because if he doesn't, the course and condition of those lives will change. And Paul notices it at a seed level. And it's in part, some of it's fully grown, vain discussion and speculations. Well, as we close, let us have these as considerations. Paul's reason to remain, uh, Paul's reason to have Timothy remain and to charge these certain persons is in love, and from a pure heart, being concerned with the course and condition of the lives of others. And that is a clear contrast between the false teachers and a faithful one. Even if what they do, they do in ignorance, you cannot overlook the fact that what they do is actually damaging the people of God.
Timothy must bring the false teachers not only to face up to what they are doing to others, but this is where love comes in. He actually loves them. His love and concern for them is look at what you're doing to yourself if you continue in this way. So the reason why Timothy must remain is not only to, as it were, to separate the false teachers from the flock, but rather to correct the false teachers out of love and a pure heart so that they may be brought back from their wandering ways and vain discussions and speculations, so that they may be brought in to clear and faithful fellowship. Timothy is instructed to not walk away from this fold because in the fold there is inherent danger with the false teachers being there. And so what you've heard this morning as a congregation is this. You've heard words from an apostle to Pastor Timothy, as it were, and the reason why he must remain. Why must he remain? Well, he has been instructed because he is the only one, it seems, who can tell the difference between what is true and what is false in a congregation that has already been swayed by false teachers. And why must we hear this letter from the apostle to Timothy? It's so that we can understand as the people of God the difference between a faithful pastor, a faithful teacher, and one who is false. Amen.